and all of us exists a longing for community, for real, deep relationships. We desire to become known, to belong, to drop the facade and let others into our lives, and in turn, be invited into theirs. But being in close community with others isn't always easy. For some of us, we're simply too busy, cramming our lives with plans and activities that there is little to no room to form deep connections. We simply check the box of showing up and move on with the rest of our week, or forsake gathering altogether, relegating it to an optional part of our lives and discipleship to Jesus. For others, there exists hurt or painful previous experiences, leaving scars and anxieties about letting others into our lives to know us intimately. Wounded, we keep others at bay or never really engage authentically. Regardless of our experience, without community, without leaning into the tension that comes with intertwining our lives with those who may not be like us, without slowing down enough to build those roots, we will remain stunted and stagnant in our journey into becoming more like Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are not merely a gathering of friends or like-minded Christians. Rather, we are called to transform into a new family. Our journey involves embracing the beautiful chaos of genuinely living life together, standing side by side in deeply rooted relationship with Jesus guiding us every step of the way. Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? Okay. This front row is insane. I love it. You guys are awesome. Well, hey, uh, if we've never met before, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I help out with Give It Away. It's how we share the gospel to our community and to our world. And so I love uh, that testimony we got from Holly. So cool. I'm wearing one of the shirts. Go, go Mazelon. So yeah, if you want more information, uh, we could talk about that for hours after service if you want. Uh, I'll be hanging out. Uh, no one's taking me up on this offer yet. So there we go. We'll see what happens. We'd love to talk about those things. But that's not why we're here right now. So we're here to talk about a series that we are in called Community. And so we're talking about what makes biblical community biblical. And so we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks now. And so today, we're going to go through one of those aspects that you see here, and we're going to be talking specifically about being a community of gathering, okay? Being a community of gathering. And so if you're here with us today, uh, well done. You're like doing half of the implication of this message. So uh, we're doing all right. You're here, we're gathering, and that's good. But uh, fortunately, there's much more to gathering than just coming to uh, a weekend service. And so we're going to talk about that and some of those implications. So um, it's, it's something that we should do, right? But there's much more to it. And in fact, uh, it's not just as simple as saying, um, uh, just telling someone like, hey, you should be involved in gathering. You should be involved in community. You should gather. Although, the actual, actually, the New Testament does do that. And so let's just go right into it. Let's look at Hebrews 10, where the author of Hebrews pretty much says that. And so go there with me to Hebrews 10. And so uh, I have my uh, Bible bookmarked. You probably don't, so I'll give you a little bit of time, okay? Maybe we can just be silent and hear the pages of the Bible rustling around. And if that's awkward, then I'll just pray for us, okay? We'll just, I'll just pray while we, while we get there. Jesus, you're so good. God, thank you for uh, your word that we get to get into today. Thank you that we get to gather as your people and go through your word. God, I pray that um, you would do um, in us whatever you'd like in the sense of uh, hearing from you and learning what it would look like to be a community that gathers for real. So pray that you would do that in and through us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Hebrews 10, if you are there with us, it's not going to be on the screen. You can listen to me read it or read it on your own with me. All right. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way opened opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so there's like a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, And we are kind of like going right, opening up right into the middle of a 10 chapter long conversation. And for the sake of time, unfortunately, I don't have the time to work through all of that with you. As much as I would love to read just 10 chapters right here, right now with you, uh, we're not going to do that. So basically, uh, what's being discussed here is how followers of Jesus have this access to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, who is the Christ, the long-awaited messianic king. And so early uh, Christian communities, they were facing a variety of challenges, and through all of the challenges, they, like us today, are encouraged to do some things. They're encouraged to hold on to our faith in Jesus. Uh, They're encouraged to support one another actually uh, and be in purposefully gathered community with one another, not to neglect that. And so we read, let us give careful consideration and intentionality around spurring and enticing one another towards what? Towards the love of Jesus, which inevitably will produce and will have the outcome and result of practically loving others. It'll be practically coming out and doing good deeds and good works. And so to not to neglect giving up or neglect meeting, physically meeting and intentionally gathering with one another. So that's what Hebrews is saying here. And so why does Hebrews say that? Well, it says because it has been and really continues to be the habit of some, a habit of not gathering, of not intentionally gathering, of forfeiting biblical necessities that we cannot follow some commands in the Bible without actually gathering, without actually meeting with and interacting with one another. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Don't neglect meeting. Don't do that. We need, at the very least, to be encouraging one another, which seemingly requires physical and intentional gathering. And all the more, it says, because that day is approaching And so that day, by the way, is the day when Jesus returns finally, when he establishes his kingdom rule and reign, which is present now, but not yet fully. And he'll come back and establish fully and forever his kingdom, create all things new, establishing the new heaven and new earth, righting every wrong, providing justice and judgment, wiping away every tear for death would be no more, and the long-awaiting church will enter into paradise, into the home, into the table of their Father in heaven." So just all of that, okay? So given all of that, can we just say, hey, you guys should just gather. Um, just, that's the command, just go do that. Uh, yeah, we definitely can. Hebrews does that, okay? It says just gather. But there's so much more to that, and we're gonna talk about that today. So let me give you a roadmap. I tend to uh, be complicated and say a lot of things. So let me give you a roadmap of what's happening here. Uh, we're gonna talk first about why we need to gather. So kind of give a biblical case for why we need to gather, not just say you should gather, you should do that. Well, we'll say why. We'll talk about why we don't gather, some common reasons and uh, outcomes and things for why uh, we don't gather. And then we'll end up talking about habits of those that 
do gather? What does it look like for those that do gather in this intentional, purposeful way? Okay? So that's what we're doing. So let's go right for it. Why we need to gather. And so to get us to the why, why we gather as followers of Jesus, uh, we should look into this Greek word. Okay? We're going to look into this Greek word right here. It's called ekklesia. Okay? Ekklesia. And so this is a, a Greek word that you can find over 40 times in the New Testament. And the exact translation of this word is the called out ones. Okay, so it's the called out ones. And so a lot, often it will be called the called out ones. In your translations, though, you might see it as the assembly. You might see it as the congregation or as the church. And so those words will be used interchangeably. And it means that we're these called out ones, called out by God for a specific purpose. I like what Robert Banks says. Um, if you're looking for a good kind of dense book, you can read this one, Paul's Idea of Community. And he says this, In the beginning of both Corinthian letters, the church is described as belonging neither to the people who constitute it, as with the Thessalonians, nor to the district they belong to, as with the Galatians, but rather to the one who brought it into existence, that is God, or to the one through whom it came into existence, that is Christ. This means that the ecclesia is not merely a human association, a gathering of like-minded individuals for a religious purpose, but a divinely created affair. Okay, so why do we gather? Because there is simply no version of Christianity uh, or those practicing the way of Jesus that is omit of physically, intentionally, purposefully gathering. The gathering of God's people is not, uh, like, it's not a human construct. It's not something that we were just like, oh, that'd be really cool if we met together and did stuff together. That'd be really fun. Uh, nor is it a practica- like a practicality of being a not-for-profit organization, right? Uh, we gather because Jesus himself divinely ordered it to be this way, to be a means in which the kingdom of God is expressed on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, to be a means of growth for followers of Jesus and a means for, uh, for followers of Jesus to outpour the love and hope of Jesus so others can know about it. And so when Jesus says things like he is gonna be building his church, I think he really means that he's gonna build his church. He is gathering individual called out ones into communities, pockets of communities, gathering together as his people around the same mission, vision, and values of the kingdom of God and the the kingdom that we are now part of. And notably, for the early church, this very much looked like what we might call today home churches, okay? So it was very much like a home church feel, meaning you have these called out people meeting, gathering in homes primarily, small homes and large homes, uh, usually around a meal shared together, in the nourishment of their body, their mind, and soul, and in constant remembrance of Jesus, who established all of this way for us anyways. And so, as uh, Pastor Seth Tonkar eloquently put it, I love what he said here. He says, at its core then, the very idea of what it means to be a church involves gathering together, usually around a meal and to share life together. But Ecclesia has an additional core ingredient that kind of makes it what it is. An ingredient, and that ingredient is the notion of purpose or intentionality. Physical gathering on its own without intentionality or purpose has no automatic spiritual value. Yet neither does a sense of purpose have any value without conscious and physical assembly in order to act on that purpose. To see those, God's in this case of the church, purposes realized in the real world. A community that gathers is doing so to manifest the risen Jesus in our midst. 
And so that is wonderful, to, to manifest the risen Jesus in our midst. This is why we gather, why we ought not to neglect gathering with one another. See, of course, there's plenty of people all over the world gathering for all kinds of different reasons. But the gospel gives God-created purpose and reason to gather. Plenty of people have the vision and ideals of gathering, but simply choose not to physically gather at all. So gathering, in the sense of uh, the way that Jesus created it, involves gospel purpose and a physical gathering of some kind, sharing of self and sharing of life together. By the way, if you are uh, listening to this and you're maybe not someone who uh, would consider themselves a called out one, as, as we're referring to, um, one that maybe has put their trust and faith in Jesus, uh, I, I would hope that you would just see this as kind of an invitation into uh, the biblical manner in which we are supposed to meet. And I would hope that you would find that as intriguing and interesting and as an invitation to your inv- investigation, to, hey, come and check it out. Come and see what that looks like to gather as God's people. Uh, I can personally give testimony of this idea of gathering as uh, this was actually a huge part of how I started to know, learn, and grow in my relationship with Jesus and others. Uh, I was invited to gather with the called out ones, if you want to use that language, uh, with the church in a small group setting. And it was with imperfect people trying to figure out what it looks like to gather around Jesus' word and, the way of, and his way of life. Uh, I was 21. It was 2011, and I did not know Jesus at all. Didn't grow up knowing Jesus at all. And I remember being so weirded out by the idea of groups of people meeting in this way. Still am, by the way. There's some weird stuff, but uh, I was so weirded out by this idea of people coming together with seemingly nothing in common, um, talking about this ancient text about a person proclaiming to be God that died and somehow raised from the dead. I remember thinking to myself, man, why do these people pretend to love each other so much? This is real weird. Why are they pretending to love me? They don't even know me. And I remember that being my case with uh, experiencing Christian community for the first time and just thinking that is so weird. Well, long story short, I obviously, even though I thought it was weird, I had this deep conviction that, man, maybe this is something different. Maybe this is real. And I had this deep intrigue that wanted me to keep figuring out what this was about. And eventually I came to know Jesus through seeing the community, the, the, the church gathering in this way. It was compelling. It was compelling. It compelled me to investigate Jesus for real. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this this last uh, couple of weeks, and uh, I even thought, man, it'd be great to have her up here with me um, because she just exhibits these kind of things really well um, in her personal life. Uh, one example from her life uh, that I experienced as well is when I first met Maggie, my wife, uh, she used to run these small gatherings. Um, they would be at her parents' house. Uh, they would be before or after church, and we uh, would just gather around a table, around a meal that we all contributed into, and around basically just sharing what Jesus was doing in and through our lives. And it was, and to this day, has been one of the most compelling and purposeful gatherings that I've ever personally experienced. We grew so much in Christ and in relationship with one another because of this time. And you, so what happened is you had this group of people that invited others in. You talked through real-life things. You shed tears together. You gave hugs together. You worshiped together, prayed for one another, and you actually had a ton of fun with each other as you're following Jesus together through all the trials and triumphs of life. And so it's in these small kind of gatherings that real life meets the way of Jesus and vice versa. And it's a beautiful picture of that. So what were we doing? It turns out we were doing exactly what we just read in Hebrews and what Hebrews just described. We were what? Spurring one another on 
toward tangible expressions of Jesus' love and good deeds. We didn't neglect to meet with one another. We actually really enjoyed to meet with one another, even though it was hard sometimes. And we found ourselves in a community where we encourage each other to be ready for the day that the Lord comes back. It's just what we read in, in Hebrews. So, with all that, why do we gather? Simply because it's the established way of Jesus for his people to practice his ways. It's literally commanded in the scriptures as well. Uh, not to neglect meeting. Not to neglect gathering as some have the habit of doing. Uh, there's other, I think I mentioned this a little bit ago, but there's other commands that you see in the scriptures. Sometimes they're called the one another passages. Meaning you can't forgive one another, love one another, encourage one another, confess uh, your sins to one another without another. Okay, You need to gather and be in intentionality with that, to do these things authentically and purposely, to gather this way in community with others. So if this is all biblically commanded and is kind of the created order of God, then why is it that so many of us, myself including, have a proclivity to like drift away from the vision of gathering? And so that's our next point here. Why don't we gather? So why is it that some followers of Jesus, myself including, simply at times don't prioritize gathering in community with one another? Also, and I'm not sure, but hopefully by now, you know that I don't just mean gathering uh, on a weekend service one hour a week like we're doing right now, or even in a more formal expression of biblical community, another hour of the week Gathering is not less than that. It's part of it for sure, and we need these types of gatherings in this way, but it's definitely more than that. It's more than just seeing community or gathering as something that you do, like I did that and now I'm done, or something that I consume and then go back to my regularly programmed, right, my regularly scheduled programming and that kind of stuff. It's more than that. It's more of a commitment. It's a commitment to a way of life, to, to be a person that chooses to gather despite all of the reasons we would rather not. With that, there are probably a ton more reasons for why we don't gather uh, in this way, but for the sake of hopefully being concise and relevant or uh, contextual to our cultural moment as I can, here are some reasons that I have seen in why we don't gather. I have three, okay? So, first one is this, limitations and isolation. Limitations and isolation. Now, Especially on this one, I do want to be a bit cautious and a bit empathetic because there are some real and legitimate reasons why people do not gather. And it has little to do with an understanding or a lack of understanding of the biblical vision and communal importance of physically gathering. I praise God that we have things like the internet and live stream that we're doing right now where we can let people come and be part of this gathering who maybe cannot physically be present here to do that. More on internet usage and that stuff in the next point, but there are legitimate reasons uh, that people can't gather. And those reasons range from uh, varying degrees of physical and mental limitations. And so as the church, we want to healthily accommodate those things that are in most cases short-term physical or mental limitations. Not to enable people in potentially unhealthy habits, but to accommodate for a time so that we can rejoin physically together as the church in small and large gatherings. In addition to limitations, there's a growing number of people worldwide experiencing sometimes self-inflicted isolation. And for this reason, more than ever, we need community. Uh, in the intentionally, purposefully gathered sense of the word. 
And this just isn't just a biblical imperative. It is. We just talked about that. But we see how the lack of community and isolation of people have actual long-term effects on people and on societies. And there's a ton of stats that we can give and show in this way. But there's actually a term I want to introduce to you, okay? And so it's a term that has come to popularity in Japan because of this reality. And it's this word called hikikomori, okay? I know you want to try to say this, so go ahead. Hikikomori. All right, I have no idea if I'm saying it right. I'm on day 45 of Duolingo trying to learn Japanese. It's going all right. Okay, so anyways, hikikomori, it's a popular thing. I was talking with our missionaries in Japan um, about this, and they're like, yeah, it's a popular thing in Japan. And so it's a rising thing, unfortunately. And this just refers to someone who is pulling inward or being confined. Basically, it's a person who is a shut-in, someone with severe antisocial tendencies and isolation. And usually, it's accompanied with other symptoms of depression or conditions leading to severe social withdrawal. And so this idea, it actually gained traction in the 80s. And the term was eventually coined by a Japanese psychologist named Tamaki Saito in 1998. And this is well before COVID, obviously, which absolutely accelerated this idea. And now it's said that uh, over 1.5 million people in Japan are considered to be living in this way as a hikikomori, meaning they seldom go outside. Um, they don't, maybe they don't work. They don't have uh, social relationships and things like that. And there have actually been global studies now um, where increasing percentages of people would be recognized in this way, with the U.S. in 2022 having around 2.7% of our population said to have gone into a severely socially reclusive state. So um, these studies, uh, they are suggesting that it is affecting way more than just individuals. Of course, it's affecting individuals in their mental, physical, social, spiritual well-being and all those things with an increase in suicide, personality disorder, and other major mental diagnoses. But consequently, um, this is affecting population rates, birth rates, social norms, and economic stability even as they don't work, don't support themselves, and don't create families that they wouldn't be able to support anyways. So with all of that to say, here's some questions to ask ourselves. What does that mean then for those that aren't gathering due to limitations and isolation? And what does that mean for those that are able to gather? So I can't stop thinking about James um, so we'll go there. We'll go to James 2, and it's just a couple pages away from uh, Hebrews, if you're in it. And so James 2 has something interesting to say, and admittedly, it's not like a one-for-one -one contextual passage to use, but I think the heart and vision of this idea of not showing favoritism is really going to be applicable for our purposes here today. So in James chapter 2, by the way, he starts off again just like in Hebrews, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, so he's talking to the family of God, the ones who gather, the called out ones. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Okay, so what does this mean then uh, for the ones experiencing limitations and, and isolation? 
It means, of course, and I feel like this shouldn't be needing to be said, it should be obvious, but maybe it's not, that for those experiencing these limitations and this isolation, you are more than welcomed into the small and large gathering spaces of God, of God's people. You are not just welcomed, you are needed. You are, uh, you need me, and I need you. That's how the church functions. We have a value at Grace Church called No Spare Parts. Everybody created by God is made to be in community with one another, sharing life together, bringing our special gifts and talents to one another. We need you. You need us. That's the body of Christ. You may feel like a social outcast or a burden to others, but that is not how Jesus views you, and it's not how the church is called to view you either. Like it says in James, has not God chosen the poor and needy, using biblical terminology, to be rich in faith and in the inheritance of the kingdom of God for those who love him? Next, what about for those who, experience, uh, who don't experience this but are able to gather? What are some legitimate efforts that we can take uh, to love and to serve and then to invite those that do have limitations and various isolation tendencies? Do we even let ourselves socialize and know people like this? Uh, would we allow ourselves to see their problem as our problem, which is the definition of justice in the Bible? And I get it, there's a lot of variables here uh, to this, and it can be messy, and I don't have all the answers. I have no idea. That's why I'm posing it to the community to consider that we would consider those things together. How do we reach and serve our brothers and sisters in that way? Next, we talked about limitations and isolation. Let's talk about this idea of drift and replacement. Drift and replacement. Because what we just talked about basically is, what we can see is that at the human level, there's a need for community especially gospel-centered community. But what happens if we lose Jesus' vision for being his gathered people? Well, when that happens, we tend to slowly drift away from Jesus' vision into eat a couple things, into not gathering with people at all or into finding replacements for community altogether that may not be gospel-centered communities. And I've heard this in myself and in others, but you know how it goes. We get busy, life gets busy, tension in relationships happen and so on and so we forget we we allow ourselves to forget the vision and the value of gathering together because we're hurt or because we get busy or things like that we don't allow ourselves to purposely and intentionally gather and so when we do that it becomes really easy to give excuses for not gathering at all it also becomes really easy to find replacements for community that maybe are not intentionally, purposely surrounded around God's word and mutual transformation in Christ. Purposely gathering, by the way, is not just centered around just morals or hobbies or unique life situations and statuses, but around the active and living word of God proclaimed by and practiced by imperfect people trying to do that together. Uh, We've discussed this passage before, but what a great picture that Acts 2 is um, in showing the local, physically, and intentionally and purposely gathered ecclesia. And so, um, I don't have this bookmarked, so we're going to see who who beats me to it, you know? Acts 2. I didn't mean for this to be a race, but uh, there you go. Okay, Acts 2. I'm there. So, Acts 2, verse 42. Check out this picture of what it looks like, right? They, the, the ecclesia, the gathered ones, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so those that are followers of Jesus are called to a particular type of gathering centered around what? God's word, his people, and God himself. The outcome is, what do we see here? Kind of a supernatural hospitality, togetherness, community, generosity, prayer, worship, mission, and so on. All the things that we're talking about in this series. They praised God. They saw others invited into praising God as a unified community. A community that should be uniquely different than any other community that we see. They met daily. We sometimes look at this and be like, man, how would we do that? That sounds crazy. But that's what they did. That's an example of the church gathered. Some other examples for you. Um, For example, let's consider uh, some really great tools that exist, like, for example, the ability to do church or online community, okay? So the ability to do online community or online church, such a great tool. Praise God for that tool. Like I said, we use it here, and we use it in other places as well. There's just one big problem. This tool that should be used as a supplement for when you can't gather or maybe for reaching people so that they would gather can easily become a replacement altogether for the the church to gather physically. And so another similar scenario would be maybe groups, groups that gather around various hobbies. And essentially, these are usually made for to be missionally in purpose, right? To reach people to gather um, intentionally. And these could essentially be groups like uh, gaming groups or sports groups or gender-specific groups or things like that. And this has really great and wonderful missional potential. The problem is when, this has happened before, when all of a sudden those gatherings drift and they no longer become primarily about a gospel focus, but instead they become primarily about things like, I don't know, Fortnite. It becomes primarily about Fortnite, or it becomes primarily about basketball, or primarily about men doing men things, whatever that means, right? And so we have these groups that happen that are designed to be missional, and sometimes they can drift away from gospel purpose. To be clear, I don't necessarily think that online gatherings and using hobbies in your gathering is a bad thing at all. I actually help foster some of these things with the gaming ministry that I help lead, but I do wrestle with these things theologically a lot. And I don't want to be, I don't want to come off as the guy of like, get off my lawn kind of guy, you know, uh, when it comes to like using modern tools and ideas for reaching people and doing life together. But at the same time, I just want to help the church keep a purposeful, physical gathering because we see Jesus' value in doing it. And not all groups, like I'm suggesting, drift away from this vision either. It's just simply something that can happen. Now, I promised myself I wouldn't go on a tirade on this next part, but I'm like, I really want to mention this because it's kind of interesting. Um, I I teach at Grace College, a theology class, and we spent like an hour on accident talking about this idea, but um, I don't want to drift from the purpose of this teaching. But I'll just mention this real quick. Do me a favor. Look up VR churches sometime. That's virtual reality. And uh, maybe not. It gets real weird, okay? But there's a conversation right now going around about like, what does it look like to be like a church online? Can we do that? What if we did baptism and communion online? Again, that could be a wonderful tool, but that cannot be a replacement for physically gathering as a body of Christ, okay? And tirade. All right, either way, uh, we need each other, and we need transformation that can only come from following after Jesus in community with others, trying to do the same thing. We have to be careful, Uh, not to drift away from the biblical vision of gathering and not to allow other things to replace purposefully and intentionally gathering around the gospel. So, last one here. Uh, Number three, 
individualism and ideals, okay? Individualism and ideals. Now, something to think about. When uh, we were thinking about this last week, when someone becomes disconnected and isolated from gathering with others, it's usually not for a good reason, okay? So we do sermon feedback every week, and so this last Wednesday, uh, and by the way, that's just where we talk about the sermon before we give the sermon, so no one thinks I'm too crazy or going off track, right? Am I doing all right? I'm not sure. But we were talking about that, um, this sermon, and we realized something, that no one that we know of that fell off the radar out of nowhere, that left a life group or left the church or something like that, um, didn't return our calls, didn't text us back, they never came back to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I didn't uh, return your call or your text. I was busy planning a church in Nepal with people that don't know Jesus. Or we never hear people come and say, man, I'm sorry I didn't call you back ever, and it's been like a year I was doing this not-for-profit in Cleveland helping the poor and needy. Like, it's never a good thing like that. It's usually because of an outcome of hyper-individualism or unmet expectations or ideals. It's usually because you think at some point that you can grow in Jesus totally on your own or because someone hurt you and you did not want to reconcile that relationship or you have this grand ideal for community and you think that everyone should also adhere to that same vision and ideal for community and they don't so you quietly walk away from it all it's usually because you become too busy with life or sports or whatever else that you again drift from the vision altogether there's a great book that we've mentioned before Um, it's called when the church was a family by joseph hellerman He has this to say about, uh, he actually quotes Barna, which does a study on um, how Americans uh, feel, Americans, Christians feel in this way. He says this, I believe you will find Barna's bullet points more than a little disconcerting. So American Christians do these things. So American Christians prefer a variety of church experiences rather than getting the most out of all that a single church has to offer. American Christians think that spiritual enlightenment comes from diligence in the discovery process rather than from commitment to a faith community and perspective. Not to be confused with our discovery process, that's totally different, okay? But that's what they're saying. American Christians view religion as a commodity that we, can con- that we consume rather than one in which we invest ourselves into. And American Christians are transient. 15 to 20% of all households relocate each year. So Barna's research reveals that American evangelicals have increasingly moved away from maintaining long-term commitments to their local church, to their local gatherings. We have chosen instead to focus on experiencing God at the individual level, at the individual level. And so what happens then? We, We forfeit being able to do some of the biblical commands. What do we talk about? How do you love one another? How do you forgive one another if you're not interacting intentionally with one another. Paul in Philippians gives a really encouraging exhortation to the church and to us, and what I would summarize is something that we should consider if we are following into that individualistic mentality or if our ideals are not getting met. In Philippians, he says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that You stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So some things to to ask ourselves if we are struggling with individualism or these grand ideals, are we still conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Can you do that fully without intentionally, purposely gathering with others around the gospel? 
What are we called to? We are called to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Individualism in the body of Christ doesn't often produce this stuff, doesn't often produce being of one spirit or striving together for the faith of the gospel. All right, let's end on some positive notes here, right? Habits of those that gather. So um, maybe we caught the vision, maybe understand what happens when we don't gather and all of that. Let's just end on some habits of those that do purposefully, intentionally gather around Jesus' word and his ways. And so some habits um, of those that gather consist of uh, a few things. Consist of how we view our sibling relationships in a certain way, of being a community of uh, those learning together, that we would actually gather together, that we would pray, confess, uh, be generous, engage in discipleship, mission, and worship. It's almost like we built a sermon series around these habits, okay? And so these are the habits right here. And so this might be a cop-out on my part, but the legit application of this message is to stick around and check out the rest of the messages, okay? And so these are the habits that we ought to hone in on and form together. These are all wonderful habits that we should hone in on. So in part, yeah, the inevitable uh, application of this sermon is to stay with the rest of the series, to practice each of these weekly without intentionally and uh, practically practicing around each of these. They will not become habits. If you just come here and listen to what we're saying and say, that was really cool, um, people gather, great, and don't practice it, then those things will not become a habit. Uh, maybe the unfair thing about a sermon series like this is that we give you all these habits. We say, practice this one this week, practice that one next week, and then when this is all done, we're going to get a whole brand new sermon series where we talk about something totally different, and that might be unfair. But that's how church is, y'all, so, okay? So here's what we need to do. We need to go back to our small gatherings, to our community, and flesh these things out together, weekly, monthly. This takes a lifetime to do together with one another. So, for the sake, uh, maybe for the sake of being original and not just leaving you uh, with, hey, listen to these other sermons and you'll get the application of the message today. I do have just three more. So I know I'm at point like nine, I know. But I have three more things to give you specifically around typical habits of purposely gathering people. Number one, communal transformation. So your community of gathered people should be in the habit of experiencing personal and communal life transformation in Christ together. See, when you're in the habit of doing the spiritual disciplines, for example, which that could be uh, prayer, scripture reading, things like that, um, when you're doing those things in community, um, you will experience some, some small and some large transformative works. So what are those things? Small transformative works may include things like this, like being comfortable reading the Bible for the first time out loud in front of others. It could be being comfortable with reading the Bible out loud or praying for the first time with others. You, you get more comfortable with doing that. That's a small victory. That's transformative works. It could be large transformative works. Maybe you're inviting people and you're seeing people actually come to know Jesus because they're seeing the expression of faith really happen. Maybe this is the first time that you put your allegiance into Jesus in that one aspect of your life that you would not give to him otherwise. But in community, you flesh that out. Those are small and large victories that you will experience when you gather together intentionally in these ways. Next, a shared identity, life, and purpose. So your community of gathered people should be in the habit of operating in a shared identity, in Jesus, and sharing life and purpose together. You are simply in the habit of doing kingdom-minded things together and regular non-kingdom uh, specific things together, but with a kingdom-minded 
purpose. Your gathered community shouldn't just do a Bible study every week, although you definitely should study the Bible, but you should live your shared life together. Do fun things together. Involve your children in things together. Talk about your finances and things that are actually happening in your real life. Go outside your typical weekly gathering to invest in the lives of each other actually and for real. Be in the habit of spending time together, sharing real life together. It's actually part of Jesus' command. Let's look at one more. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Question is, and I'll invite the band up as they prepare to get us, engage us into worship. Question here is, how can we love one another if we are not spending purposeful time with one another? And really, there's an evangelistic outcome to this as well. One of the habits of gathered people is that we would become outwardly focused, that we would become outwardly focused. And it might not seem overtly evangelistic, but it really is. When we spend time with one another and learn how to love one another as Jesus has loved us with gospel purpose, then we actually become a way in which people know that we are actually his disciples. Hopefully that becomes contagious to people who don't know Jesus, that they would want to be invited into that, want to see what is different about this community of followers of Jesus. And it forces us to want to see others. Maybe our three, three people that we want to come to know Jesus. It forces us to want to say, man, I want to share that identity and life and purpose with you. And it forces us to want to share that with others. Well, I look forward to talking more specifically on this idea uh, next month when I get to teach on a community on mission. But for now, everything I've said is probably more than enough for one person to think about for one week, let alone a whole lifetime. And so the encouragement I would just say is church, Let's just gather well. Let's gather purposefully and intentionally with gospel intention and gospel purpose because long ago, a rescue plan was put into effect where one day the Messiah, the King, would come into this world to gather with us, to die for us, to rise again from the dead and provide the Holy Spirit to help us be the gathered, called out people, to form gospel habits, to invite others into the kingdom, and to look forward to the one day where we gather together finally in his kingdom that lasts forever. That is what Jesus has invited us into, and that is why we gather. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited us into like real life. Uh, you've invited us to be the called out ones, the people that know and love you and represent you to the world, not just to be some kind of holy huddle where we come together and try to be perfect, try to be good people, nothing like that. Lord, but we come together, and what I love about John 13, Jesus, what you said, is that as we are instructed to love one another, we've got to figure that out. As we do that, that actually becomes one of the ways that people know that we are disciples. That becomes one of the ways that people see and know who you are and what your church is all about. Lord, I pray that we would be people that gather well, that we would gather purposely and intentionally. And that we, when we drift from that, that we would lovingly call our brothers and sisters back in the most loving way to be in community with one another. We need one another so that we can love one another, confess our sins to one another, and all of these things that simply we cannot do without one another. Help us to gather well and gather with your gospel purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.